Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Aaron Reynolds, a creator and author of Effin' Birds and various other weirdly popular social media sites that he's making a living from. Aaron is a humorist, a professional speaker. He's the man behind Effin' Birds and Swear Trek Twitter accounts and even Bat Labels, which hopefully we'll get around to telling you about. When he's not on Twitter, you may find him producing a series of podcasts or at Comic-Con, dressed as George Lucas. He's been a baseball writer, a fine art printer, and a mall Santa Claus photographer. Aaron was raised in Mississauga, Ontario, where they cut down all the trees and named the streets after them. He currently splits his time between Toronto and Ottawa. Aaron, welcome to the show. How's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. You and I met at, uh, at at Fireside, which is the the week the the, the annual uh, startup camp held in Bancroft, Ontario, for entrepreneurs, sort of in the Ottawa Toronto axis. You, of course, had to go twice since you're from both cities, um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, and and that's a great place to get to know people. And we had a few chats around the fireside, and I actually saw you do a podcast. And I just thought this guy is the best storyteller I know. He can just sit there and tell wacky stories that have me splitting my side. And so when I was, this is very early still in my podcast career. And when they said, Rick, what, 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 what entrepreneurs would you like to interview? I want, you were one of the very first people that I thought of and we got in touch with, because I thought I want to have this, this brand of zaniness on the show. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is of course, a lot of pressure now for me to be funny. So now I, I have to think of some good I was just thinking that, Some good stories. and I was thinking how unfair that was, but I know you can do it. Uh, if I did this to a, a normal entrepreneur, then yeah, they would now start getting nervous, but you're just thinking, okay, I'll bring out the good stuff now, so so that's great. So this is a podcast for entrepreneurs, and as I like to say, we have to earn their interest. If someone's listening in the first minute and says, why do I care about Swear Trek and effing birds. I don't know what those things are. Why should I listen to this podcast? We try and give people a reason. Can you think of any reason why they should stick with us? Any lessons or oh insights that they can God. get out of your story? I think that, um, I, oh, that is a hard question. I, because I have a hard time thinking of myself as an entrepreneur. I recognize that, I recognize that that's what I am, but I, I, 
I have trouble like conceiving of what I'm doing in that way, even though, you know, when I make a Twitter account, it has a business plan with it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, so let also me, weird. let me help you out with this then. Um, I'm impressed that uh, when I first met you, you were working in technology for a big company and you didn't seem a hundred percent, uh, inspired by that company after having worked there for some time. And, uh, we can talk about that if you want, but, but, uh, since then, you've actually been able to break free of that, I believe, and uh, spend almost all your time on creative projects that you've made up. And I think that's the most spectacular kind of entrepreneurship there is, which is to be able to create your own reality, your own um, incredible uh, uh, perpetual motion machine of, of ideas that are actually, that, that you know how to exploit and turn into commercial propositions. And I don't know how much of your revenue comes from uh, t-shirt sales and from, <laughs> and, 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 and from, 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 from customized mugs, um, but that's a, that's a legit way of making money. And the fact that you've been able to turn it into uh, partnerships with, with big organizations like Audubon, and you've published a book through Random House now with Effenbirds, uh, that's, that, that's a type of entrepreneurship that none of us knew was possible growing up, that, 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 that we could live off our ideas, that, that we could have this much fun. And you were telling me you have 280 days worth of content in the can already for Effenbirds, which is... Which is, for those who don't know, F stands for the word that we'd rather not say on this past, on, on this podcast. F and Birds is a brand in which you use old vintage engravings or pictures or illustrations of birds and put on some spectacularly funny and mostly quite profane captions on them. It's like the most wildly crazy uh, thing and, uh, and and it's taken off and it's and and what's interesting is you've left a trail of bodies behind you in terms of some of the other brands that you worked on such as <laughs> such as bat labels so and and, yeah. and swear tra- swear track so um, so so it's something that you've been able to do several times and now you seem to be right on top of it and uh you you're on a book tour you were just telling me that you went that you you're going to comic cons in order to i I know you had several uh launch parties for the book in the fall uh, last fall and you recently went to fairbanks alaska to the world's most northerly comic con so it sounds like this is a business that that's working and exposing you to incredible adventures and it all comes from you having this remarkably creative mind that generates so many ideas. And I'm hopeful that you can tell us how the rest of us can, uh, c- c- can do that and build brands out of, out, out of the stuff we make up. Does that make sense? I think that, yeah. And I think you really hit on something when you, you talked about me being uninspired at my, my job for a, a big technology company. I was inspired by that job for a long time, but I was there for 11 years and somewhere around year eight or nine, I really started to, to ask what I had left to do there. Because there was not, in the kind of role I was in, there wasn't any more growth available to me. And the, the growth paths that I saw were not appealing. And the ability to just to make some stuff and have a reaction to it and then get paid for it. Um, which is, of course, the you know the magical part that means that you don't have to go do some other job uh, was mm-hmm. remarkable. It is and magic. It was, yeah. And I think the 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 hardest part in describing the process is that to get to where I am right now in launching things on social media and, and building popularity around them um, is that you know it's been 10 years of of twitter brand building for me at this point you know um i i was trying to think of when the first time i went on twitter was but it was actually early on in my career at that technology company uh one of my coworkers said why aren't you on twitter and so i got onto twitter thank you uh, Danny Wong, uh, <laughs> you are partially responsible for everything that has happened up to this point. Um, and, uh, you know, once I, I saw that there was this place where I could get a foothold and people would see what I was doing if it was good, it was this sort of like this 
no one would put me on TV and no one would put me on the radio and no one until this fall was going to, you know, publish a book by me. And so I had to take the avenues that I had available for, you know, the things that were coming out of my mind, whether or not, whether or not I had an avenue for them, you know, I was going to be thinking of things. I was going to be writing things. I was going to be making jokes and it's either torment my friends and family with them or, you know, build another audience around it. And so I'm very thankful for Twitter and now Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, I mean, even Tumblr, I have a, I have a nice following on Tumblr still. I love those guys. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, let, let, let's go back to it. So, so is is Swear Trek or no Bat Labels where this started for you? Yeah, Bat Labels was the first thing that that had a major audience for me, and that was um, okay. Explain I, to me what Bat Labels yeah. is or was. It's. I mean, it's still around. Every once in a while, I bring it back out of retirement and uh, and post a little bit more to it. it and is that's the thing: is really, that you own it, or well, I mean, you, you, we'll talk about whether you own it or not. Yes. But, yeah. But it's your. I really don't. <laughs> it, it's your Twitter account. You can reactivate it and give it as much uh, oxygen as you want. Nothing has to be dead. It's all yours. That's what I love about this. That's, okay. That's exactly it. So yeah. what? So so, so what's was, bat labels mean? I was watching '60s Batman. I this is Adam really... West and Burt Ward yeah. and Burgess yeah. Meredith as the the, the penguin. penguin. Yeah. yeah, wonderful corny jokes. Um, and I I recognized this running gag that I really I felt like it hadn't been acknowledged in in the way that it deserved because it was such a great running gag. And it was that everything has a label on it and none of the labels are helpful. They're just <laughs> overly explanatory. Um, Batman will shout quickly, Robin, to the giant lighted lucite map of Gotham City and they will run across the Batcave and there will be this giant map and it will say in a big sign above it giant lighted lucite map of gotham city <laughs> and i found that is that a real profoundly. one giant lighted lucite map like, yeah, um, yeah, it's in, yeah it's in the first episode it's in the pilot <laughs> that was the one that was like oh this is amazing when they started doing that over and over again um at one point uh, uh batman says uh that they need to they need to look up something uh about the history of gotham city and they walk over and there's a giant sign that says bad research shelf above a bunch of books um or my favorite is when the Riddler is breaking into the library and they need to find this really specific book. And there is a single book on a whole shelf that's empty aside from this one book. And it says, um, uh, oh, oh, shoot, I forget exactly what it says, but it's something, something, something of the lost treasures of the Incas. Like it's the one <laughs> book and the shelf is labeled and right. it's like it's it's really great. Um, and I, li I liked one, I, such the, a, one of them that said secret exit. <laughs> yes, the secret, secret exit, exit was labeled. Yes, or, yeah, secret refrigerator do not open. I love that one. <laughs> so, uh, no, we I, had that at my office at my old office. Yeah. Oh, do not open the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so you, 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 the irony of this hit you, and you thought this is funny. We can give some love to a fifty-year-old TV show, and and well, that's it. Yeah, I just wanted to catalog it. I wanted to acknowledge how great this one joke was, and how they did this one joke so consistently for one hundred and twenty episodes of television and a movie. And the ones in the movie are fantastic. In fact, there's one of them in the movie that keeps showing up in other TV shows. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's a, a sign in the movie when they're in the the they call a, Batman calls the Pentagon because he's upset that they sold a, a nuclear submarine to the Penguin. Um, and uh, there's just this sign in the background that says classified waste over a garbage can. <laughs> and the classified waste sign keeps showing up on other TV shows, um, uh, all of them directed by the same guy, uh, Leslie H. Martinson, who directed the movie. Are you uh, kidding? There's a wow. great episode of Wonder Woman where uh, they're in the whatever that the place where Diana Prince works in the in the, the, the not not the one that's set during the war, but the the, the 70s. Uh, the 70s season of it, uh, and there's a neon tube version of the classified waste sign okay, in their so, office, and it made me laugh so hard. So, so I mean, that type of meta humor, you, you ex it, it feels very contemporary. I mean, a lot of the, the, the old Batman show doesn't 
this doesn't doesn't hold up really, but 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 that was but that self self referential laughing at itself um that, that that's still pretty contemporary so you seized on that and you you taken screen captures and then just posting them on yeah, just, twitter right yeah i just tried to catalog them all uh, but one of the things that i found when i was cataloging them and posting them to twitter was it was a lot of fun to slyly comment on whatever the news of the day was by posting the label that was in some way related to it. Uh, without, Lesson you know, two, kids. Without... Lesson two, kids. Make sure it's relevant <laughs> to people's daily lives. Okay, go ahead. Well, that's it, right? Yeah. No, no. It's it, it, the one that really um, that got me every time. Uh, there's um, Batman has a hypermetric lie detector in his Batcave. Of course he does. So when, yeah, whenever anything was going around about. Uh, fake news or people being upset about, you know, an untruth being told the hypermetric lie detector would just have to come back out and thousands of people would retweet it because, you know, it was, it just resonated for them in a, in a, in a way that, you know, this was a nice release. Right. So one of the ways that you tried to make money off that as you sort of um, gathered some traction was you, you, you had some, uh, t-shirts made up that said henchmen because yes. some of those supervillains had henchmen and uh, because they needed someone to fight Burt Ward and uh, yep <laughs> and, and and so and one time the they all wore shirts that identified them as henchmen which qualifies yep. as a bat label but it was also really funny and I and and uh, I have a daughter who's a huge fan of that show. And when, when I found out you'd even made, uh, you didn't make them, but you made a design for them in case anyone was ever silly enough to order one. When I found out you had also designed a t-shirt that said henchwoman, I had to buy that one for my daughter. So, so, so yeah, you, you got Absolutely. money from me the first day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On that. Yeah, well, you know. I had I had been having these conversations with my wife about the amount of time I spent just on that one Twitter account. <laughs> That's and the, the conversation. Spent, <laughs> the right, conversation. And the amount of yes. time I spent watching Batman. Yeah, like how do you justify this? Because I was working a, a full time job, and uh, then I would you know come home and watch you know two or three episodes of Batman every day, um, and uh, and then meticulously screenshot and catalog and all these other things. And so I, I was looking for a way to. Uh, to get it to pay for itself a little bit um, without tromping on anybody's, you know, I, you know, I can't sell pictures of Batman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Batman's, you know, Warner brothers would object. Batman is one of the most valuable pieces of intellectual property in the world. And you're, right. you're, you're trading off of it. How did that work out? Why? Well, I, I mean, it, I had some conversations with some people at a, corporate level from those companies um, that I don't want to dive too much into, but it was mostly a, um, um, yeah, you know, if you, there are some lines, please don't cross them. And if you don't cross them, nothing bad is going to happen here. Uh, but uh, so when, they, they hadn't trademarked henchmen. So you well, were free to do yeah, that. It was, presumably. it was the word henchman really. And uh, you know, the, I got a, a, a wonderful artist friend of mine uh, named Xander Stobbs to do a, uh, a sort of impressionistic hand lettered version of the words henchman that looks like it was cut out of felt. Uh, because that's what, the, that's what they're, they were wearing black turtlenecks and definitely they had cut these block letters out of some kind of white fabric and stitched them onto it. So I Agnes got- Agnes DeMille did that herself. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I got Xander to do a beautiful, like uh, uh, not- copy of it but uh like a like an homage to it and uh we ended up uh i was hoping we'd you know we'd you know sell a hundred shirts and we ended up selling significantly more than that i think we sold a hundred shirts in the first hour that i had them for sale get out crazy yeah that's amazing that's fantastic so from batman you were able to get a a, a twitter following you were able to start selling some stuff what what platform did you use to sell t-shirts and uh coffee mugs uh so for the the bat label stuff i was using a wonderful company called cotton bureau um and they are or they were they're actually the the nature of selling t-shirts on the internet has changed in the last four years <laughs> but uh um, i did not know that oh yeah uh what cotton bureau 
was very good at is they were an old school screen printing company on top of being an internet company. Um, I don't know exactly how that happened. They have some magical history in there, but uh, what they would do is they would run a, a, a two week long campaign and however many shirts were ordered during the campaign, they would print that many and deliver them. So rather than print on demand, which about four years ago were relatively cruddy looking uh, shirts, uh, they were doing really beautiful old school heavy screen print right uh, and you know and so it was they were a great partner uh, and i actually i still do some stuff with them uh now and again uh but because the quality of on-demand merchandise printing has just gone way way up in the last couple of years they've also found that they are moving to that same kind of on-demand printing oh okay I mean, I mean, yeah. If you can make it work, it's 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 the only way to work because they're they're the ultimate long tail. That well, that's uh, it, right? Yeah. You know, most of the brands will not have a hundred thousand followers or more as your brands have. Most of them will have four hundred, and three of them will order something. So uh, well, and you yeah. know what? And here's the thing too. Like with with bat labels, everybody wanted that henchman shirt. It was the universal product, but. With effing birds, and I know we haven't really talked about effing birds yet, and we'll get there. But the thing that I needed to realize to be successful with effing birds is that there's a I write two. There are two new jokes every single day, and every one of them has a fan. And while I don't make everything available on merchandise, I make a huge amount of it available on merchandise. And some of those will sell thirty or fifty shirts. And the thing is, if I was printing them ahead of time or if I was running a campaign for them, that would be a failure. But because they can just be there and they have no cost once right, I've prepped right. the artwork, you know, they're just they're available in the store. And in fact, what I have to do is I have to remove designs from the store frequently to stop people from being paralyzed by choice. When people wow. have too many choices, they can't decide what shirt they want. We, we've actually, we look at the numbers, and when I go up over a certain number of designs available on the store, our sales go down because every I spend, single time. I spend so much time leafing through to try and decide that then the boss comes by, I have to minimize the screen, and <laughs> then I'm exactly done. It. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Whereas if, if I had only had, you know... 20 designs and you had been able to go through them quickly, you would have said, oh, yeah, I want this one about this problem would go away if we had more meetings. Yeah. So right. you know, but, yeah. but, but this is a good example of why, you know, our fathers and mothers probably couldn't make a living off stuff like this uh, because those tools weren't available, such as the print on demand. So when you say you made T-shirts available, yeah, you didn't have to order them and ship them in from China and put them up for sale in a, in a flea market or something, or, or in a department store, whichever. Uh, you just create the design, and yep. I presume that's fairly simple. You do it virtually, you put it onto a website, and it only becomes a real thing when somebody orders it for the very first time. That's exactly it. I made a good joke yesterday morning and everybody really responded to it. And by yesterday night, I was selling it on, on shirts and mugs. Okay, what was the joke? Uh, it was, uh, it says, uh, uh, wash your hands for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it was very of the moment. Of course know? it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, then along comes Swear Trek. So tell me where that came from and what that was about. So I don't like emoji. I don't like using emoji when sending text messages to people. And I had started, um, I, I really don't know why I started doing this, but to irritate some of my friends, I started using screenshots from Star Trek instead of emoji because, you know, it's a, uh, there's some big acting on that show, you know, William Shatner, uh, on the small screen, he's got some big emotions and um, and the bigger it is, the slower he talks. That's exactly I will it, not right? allow you to hurt my crew. I love it. So uh, I started. Uh, I had the, I had this folder on my phone that was just full of screenshots from Star Trek. And one day I thought, wouldn't it be funny if every single one of these was captioned with the f word? And <laughs> because there was this one of um, 
It's from Wolf in the Fold. It's when the guys, the anyways, he's the, there's a guy lying on the transporter pad, like he's just lying down on it on his back. And you know, I just thought of it. Oh, this just needs the caption of the f word. And was when I, was Wolf in the Fold the one where the spirit of Jack the Ripper haunted the Enterprise? That's that's the one. That's the <laughs> Isn't one. Isn't it terrible it's that I know that? Space. Yeah. That oh, was. You know what? It, you, your nerd cred is solid. <laughs> that was unwatchable. Yeah. I. You know. I. I, I'm at a place where I no longer have any critical distance from Star Trek. I embrace it and love it. It is all good. Um, so I, I, that was my initial conception for what Swear Trek was going to be. And it was a Twitter account exactly like that for maybe two weeks until I felt that I had sort of, uh, the joke had run its course. Um, but then I started making uh, animated animated gifs uh, where I would rewrite the dialogue from a scene to use the emotion that was already there to address something that had frustrated me in my in my everyday life um, and and of course I added curse words because they were just so out of place uh, at the time in Star Trek you know they just felt so jarring and you know and funny and and can you tell us any of the the good punchlines I I did a quick search and couldn't find any that I was comfortable saying on air. <laughs> Uh, so I'll tell you the one that got William Shatner to block me because it's one of the <laughs> least rude ones. And and I am not I'm not upset to have been blocked by William Shatner, but I'm also not proud of it. Um, That's good. That's I, a good attitude. Thanks. I, I also had to meet him the day that he blocked me on Twitter. And that is another story in itself. But um, oh, that was poor I, timing, Aaron. Yeah, I didn't let on who I was when I met him. <laughs> um, so actually, oh, a, <laughs> that was well done. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, Do you ever see the Star Trek cartoon? I, I that was unwatchable as well, but I know what it is. Yeah, but I I do love it. Um, you know the seventy Star Trek cartoon. Uh, there's this scene where animated Captain Kirk is talking to these two, they, they, these aliens that have big yellow blob like kind of lumpy heads, and they look really serious. And he's got this little smirk on his face, and so I was like, what is he saying that's so disrespectful that he earns this little smirk, and that these aliens look so upset. And so I had him say, you guys look like my balls. And um, then a thousand people tweeted it at William Shatner and William Shatner blocked me. <laughs> and so, you know, the thing is, like, I, first of all, humor is subjective and it, it is 100 percent acceptable to me that William Shatner would not find Swear Trek funny. And second of all, if a thousand people are going to tweet that at him, the right solution, if he does not want to see it anymore, is definitely definitely to block my Twitter account. Um, <laughs> I did check later. He also blocked my personal account. <laughs> he, blocked, he blocked every account that was referenced in the Swear Trek's bio. Do you uh, think he did that, that himself or does he have a yeoman to do it? I, you know, there's rumors that William Shatner does not run his own Twitter account. I don't know. Oh, I don't believe that. I've, yeah. I, 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 I've read it. Uh, and he's interacted with me a couple of times, which is my like claim to fame. And nice. uh, it, it, it feels like him because it's, it's not a trained PR person because he does get pissed off. He does oh, yeah. diss his critics in a way that no henchman would probably dare to do. Right. Definitely. If it's someone who is running it for him, they are they are uh they've gone a little rogue <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i just went on twitter now and i saw that the, you, you you recently posted a good one it has captain cisco uh just staring at you and the caption is the third jurassic park movie was the only good one so just oh yeah just, just offbeat funny stuff so mad at that one that has 699 hearts or loves on Twitter and 101 captions, which I don't intend to read. So I mean, that, that's that's amazing engagement. And I most see that- of them are, are <clears throat> upset at me or or saying how could you or uh, this is truly profane. That was my favorite reply. <laughs> but the third Jurassic Park movie was the best. I agree. It was uh, <laughs> the one that embraced its monster movie, you know, yeah, uh, you know, roots the right. best. Right. Um, so you have a, you still have 128,000 followers on Swear Trek on Twitter. Where else does it reside? Like, do you have, have an Instagram Swear Trek? Swear Trek only Tumblr? really lives on, yeah, Tumblr, Twitter, and uh, actually it has a Jiffy account, which is quite popular, uh, so that it can show up in everybody's, you know, text messages and stuff like that. Uh, that one's a little harder to measure, um, 
Uh, it's harder to measure the traffic to it, but the ones that are popular there are really, really popular. Um, the one, actually, the, the biggest one on my Jiffy account, and I have no idea why, although I think it's a great joke, it's, uh, it's from Deep Space Nine. It is uh, 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 O'Brien and Bashir sitting on a bench, and uh, Bashir says, is that a buffet? And O'Brien looks up and says, not for long. And they both get up and run <laughs> towards whatever was. And <laughs> that one has uh, 20 times the, uh, the, the uses of anything else on my Jiffy account. And so, you know, something, something happened. Something in the, in the GIF world. Uh, they like buffets or they like the absurdity of that one or... Also, it doesn't have any swear words, so it can get through all their uh, uh, adult content filters and stuff like that. But the weird thing about uh, Star Trek is that it's become a thing again. I mean, the the, the series of move, of new movies with uh, yeah, Chris, Chris Pine. I was about to say Chris Pike, Pinto. but that wasn't it. Yeah, Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they may have run their course, but they're still they they still feel contemporary. And of course, we have Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, and there's some new new stuff still coming out. So it's we are back. In the new golden age of Star Trek. I'm yeah. glad that I was doing this at the right time. But so 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 does that made you sort of go back and pay more attention to the swear track property now? Well, so. The thing about this, and it's one of my strategies with all of these things, is that um, I, I try to act like a television network in that I am not afraid of reruns. I think reruns are great, and uh, reruns are a way that you don't overextend yourself on making new content. Uh, so there was actually a six-month period where I did not make any new swear track jokes, and... I felt okay about it uh, because part of the thing about Twitter is that things go by so fast that, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, even if you have a hundred thousand followers, you know, with a hundred thousand followers, um, 600 and whatever people liked that, that Jurassic park tweet, you know, which probably means 10,000 people saw it. Well, you know, that's, it's not even 10% of the audience. So, you know, I can run that a few more times, especially if I'm not running it at the same time of day and stuff like that without anybody noticing that, you know, that it was old. Especially if, you know, content like this takes only seconds to to consume and register. So no one's invested in, in to find it. Oh, I already saw this one. They see it. They laugh. And maybe they think, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was a good one. So you're actually creating value still, even if it's a rerun. But you exactly. are doing new stuff. Uh, you had Picard from his new show. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's, I so. love how, like, the one of the things about the new Picard series is that uh, – that Patrick Stewart is playing him as a much grumpier version of Picard. And he was already a grumpy character. <laughs> and so the swear track treatment of Picard was always that he was like grumpy cat. You know, uh, I, I, I had fun once. It was terrible. You know, that kind of guy. And so uh, uh, now that he's so, you know, now that he looks extra grumpy on screen, it's just been a, a delight. Uh, my favorite one is... Uh, uh, the one about Dixie Cups. I can't explain it, and it's it's got curse words in it. But if you go find the one about Dixie Cups, that's my. my so you go to uh, Twitter and search for Swear Trek, and yeah. you you'll you'll find it. So yeah. are, so have you made any money off of Swear Trek? Because this is another property that is fairly highly regarded. If you wanted to make fun of my three sons, or or the or. I was going to say <laughs> Mannix. No one would care. You know, other no old, care, other old 60s at, shows. People at Star Trek would, would care about it. And yeah. so I, I did do a Cotton Bureau shirt run. Um, and I, I made some patches and some pins. Uh, they look like the Star Trek Red Alert logo, but they say something far more profane. <laughs> um, uh, it involves the F word. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it wasn't like, it wasn't the same kind of instant response that there was for the henchman shirt and it was part of my learning process for how i was going to how i was going to build and birds to be something that would make money um as it stands the money that i get for swear track entirely comes from a patreon um i do i run a, a patreon related to it uh that uh, allows me to justify the time i spend on it and allows me to, you know, pay for the accounts that automate how it runs and 
you know, the software that I need to make it and all that good stuff. Uh, because uh, there are a surprising number of expenses in making a dumb Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Patreon, for those who don't know, is a website I haven't used it, but people who have amassed a following or think that they can, if they have something special to give to the world, they can solicit patrons to support them and pay them a little bit or a great deal of money every month in order to support their work. And I know I, 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 I should take a look at it and find out just how many people are on there and what kind of things are going on there. But have you found that that's actually a, a, a lucrative source of energy? Oh, absolutely. Like it's, I couldn't, um, there are people who can live off of their Patreon. And I, I feel like if I had, if I really banged the drum for it, and and made it the primary focus of of how I do things. I I could do that as well, but I don't want it to be the primary focus. I, I like to treat it as um, here's this thing that I make for you for free. If you really like it, you can give a few dollars a month. Uh, the most popular tier on my Patreon is three dollars a month. Um, and very uh, cool. You know, yeah, exactly. And if you feel good about giving three dollars a month, that's going to guarantee that everybody else continues to get this content for free. And uh, you know what? It's it has made it so that I can I can justify doing it, so I can continue to do it, and so that when I have an idea that will have some upfront costs um, that may not pay off, I don't feel like it's a it's not a gamble. You know what I mean? It's I mean it is a gamble. But I'm not gambling with the money that I need to eat, <laughs> you know, or the money that I need to send my kids to school. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm using money that's specifically earmarked for a weird creative pursuit. I'm doing um, a project in the next in the next little while that certainly uh, is going to attract some notoriety. But it had, um, I, I'm gonna say almost three, three to $4,000 worth of upfront costs before I could make the first joke. And I mean, it's going to be worth it. It's totally going to be worth it. But, uh, but it was a little bit like if I hadn't, if I didn't have the Patreon supporting, uh, what I was doing, it would be a lot more stressful to, to put that money up. Right. It. Right. So the question that I've got to ask, because I know that everyone listening to this podcast is asking it is, can you make decent money from this can are you anywhere close to sort of replacing the income that you had in your previous job yes um so i i got to this like uh, stress point with my with my old job where there was a lot of concern about um my there was concern about my dedication level at work not because of anything to do with performance at my job but because I was gaining all this notoriety for my extracurricular activities. Do you know what I mean? Like there was this sort of like this, this thought that I, I couldn't be as focused on, on my, my day job because there was so much action happening in my, in my other stuff. And, and it sounds like those other actions were what was firing up your neurons. Well, so yeah, that, so it's like, changing yeah. the way you, you approach work. They really were. They were actually, uh, they were making me a lot more uh, grateful and thankful uh, for work too which is kind of funny because um just to talk about fm birds for a second fm birds is every frustration i have ever had in my life you know distilled down to a few words and paired with some beautiful woodcuts of birds and so uh the thing about having a job where you interact with other human beings is sometimes those other human beings will be frustrating and i got to this magical place where I was always glad when I had a frustrating interaction because it wasn't a, um, oh, God, I hate that I'm having this frustrating interaction. I would have this moment of like, ah, I'm going to sell a whole bunch of mugs from this interaction. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I was suddenly, you know, and it's still to this day, I'm like, I, there was, I got this really oh frustrating email from the like the parent teacher council whatever it is for the, the parents association for one of my kids school and i was like you know what this is this is gonna make me some money <laughs> pro <laughs> so tip I'm, number six turn your anger into money <laughs> exactly oh man but uh so i had um i'd be doing f and birds for a while i had launched the f and birds store it was doing well for me 
Uh, and I would, I did a crowdfund uh, with a platform called Unbound, which is an amazing uh, book crowdfunding platform uh, for an F and Birds book. And it was very successful, so successful that uh, Penguin Random House came in and uh, bought the rights to the book for North America because Unbound is a, a UK platform. And um, that's amazing. Yeah, they had one little like string attached to this advance they wanted to give me, and, and that this string is, this was this is a book that has the word F on every other page, right? It yeah, it yeah. Has over two two hundred curse words in like <laughs> as many pages. Um, uh, they uh, they had this string attached of we need you to deliver this book earlier than you had intended because we want it out for uh, Christmas twenty nineteen. And, uh, it was like, it had moved up my deadline by four or five months from what I was expecting. And so that meant I really had to, you know, knuckle down and just spend all my time finishing the book. And so I went to work and I said, Hey guys, um, I got offered this, this great advance on the book. If I can complete it sooner, um, what can we do so that I can, uh, take a, a couple months off or work part time for a little bit? Cause I need to, to focus on this. And I got a straight up answer of, um, Aaron, you're going to have to choose between this book and your job here. So after 11 years, it was just a straight up. Uh, Were you, you disappointed by that? To a certain extent. I mean, I, I love and respect the company. I, I, I found my job, uh, fun and, uh, uh, relatively easy to do and low stress. It had, it paid great. It had great benefits. You know, there were a lot of positives to, to continuing to work there. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was like, yeah, maybe it's just time for me to move on. So maybe this is, and I'm sure that that was part of their thinking as well, that, you know, maybe it's just time for me to get pushed out of the nest and go do something else. Because the golden handcuffs are real, you know, when you have, I have three kids and when you have three kids in a really good health plan from absolutely, work, it's hard to walk away from the really good health plan. So I did a bunch of number crunching. Um, that was actually where I started to really like bang the drum on my own Patreon a bit. It's like, okay, I got to make all of the, uh, <laughs> all of the different avenues of income here, uh, work out for me. Um, but when I looked at it, the amount of money that I was bringing in was very close, um, from the store and, uh, and since then has surpassed it. And then when we added the book advance and the ability for me to pick up some freelance work that I had not been able to accept before, cause I just didn't have the time, um, that was, it was a Wednesday when I got the ultimatum and I had, I had quit by the weekend. Wow. What a story. Um, so <clears throat> we don't have much time left, but let's just talk about effing birds a little bit. It's, uh, it, the, the brilliance there is that you found a way because, uh, the image has always been sort of the, the, doing the, all the heavy work for you, the images you use from Star Trek and bat labels and everything. And then you worked around yeah to that you 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 created content to go with that image and you discovered a source of non copyrighted illustrations in these old woodcuts of of birds of north america or whatever well that was really part of the plan right uh, if i if i looked at swear trek and why i couldn't make money from swear trek um i that was the first thing I wanted to address in whatever the next project was. I actually, like, I made a wish list before I started on F and Birds. And the wish list had things on it like, no more animated GIFs. Oh, my God, that's a terrible <laughs> format. And nobody wants to make those if they don't have to. Um, uh, not moving images. Uh, things that are easily translatable to merchandise. Uh, things, that, uh, uh, things that I can uh, control the rights to. Uh, and so... When I started putting all of those things together, so the things that I that I, I wanted to have were the things, essentially the things that I did not want to have, the problems I didn't want to have, and I added them to the list of the things that were good about Swear Trek and Bat Labels that weren't Star Trek or Batman. You know what I mean? Like, what were the pieces here? So, that like, the relatability piece, the relevance piece, the emotional piece, um, how do I build all of those into something? And then while I was doing this sort of like mental calculation on what the next project was going to be, I got a spam email that offered me uh, six gigabytes of bird stock art 
And the default image in the spam email was this owl that looked hugely pissed off because, I mean, that's how owls look, those heavy lids, you know, they look angry. And so I went in and I looked at it and I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm just licensing this whole thing. Let's do this. <laughs> and I sort of did it as a, you know, as a little bit of a, a that lark was very see, good. Oh, it's a bird pun. Sorry. Uh, Thanks. Uh, I didn't mean to. I hate puns. Puns are the worst. Um, I, I just wanted to, to see what would happen. And I had planned to do it for two weeks and be done. And at the end of two weeks, it was one of the most popular things that I'd ever done. So it's like, well, I guess and, I'm going to continue have had this. Because these are black and white, obviously. Um, and they're, they were very earnestly made. There's no secret in-jokes in there. They're, 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 there's no Klingons. Right. Um, yeah, There's no built-in yeah. audience for them, you know. It's uh, it's you know it was it was a little bit a little bit scary. So I'm just looking at, the, at the, some of these pictures here. There's one of this bird and it's cawing yep. and it says, "Listen to my opinions." There's another one of a it looks like a magpie it says, "I'm just gonna get into bed and eat a whole pie," although it's an effing pie. Um, yeah. yeah, and and uh, just yeah. stuff that's uh that that that's not. Uh, that that that's funny, but it's not popular culture. It's 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 its own new thing. Yeah. No, it's really straight up emotions. Straight up emotions. Um, How long until the apocalypse was one of the most popular ones. It's beautiful, beautiful raven asking <laughs> how long until the apocalypse. And I, you know that's the thing is uh, it, it, writing F and birds actually um, requires me to just dive into twitter and see what people are unhappy about today you know or happy about or whatever other emotion although unhappiness seems to be the emotion that drives drives a lot of it um and find some uh cathartic way to express it and then find some bird that looks like it's feeling that because i don't know if you've ever thought about it but if you try to put human feelings onto the faces of birds, they generally look <laughs> angry, upset, or disappointed. Right. Especially so you've got 180,000 followers on Twitter, so that's 50% more than Star Trek. Um, how, how long is, is F and Birds yeah. going to continue? Is, that, is, is this evergreen? Is this something that will be around for 20 years, or will it run a course? Well, I got asked that question at a comic con, you know, of like, how long does this joke have? And I said, the thing is I can get tired of doing swear track and take a break from it because there's no income there really. You know what I mean? But F and birds has this built in carrot with it that I make good money doing it. And so I am less right, likely right. to grow tired of it. And, I, somebody said, you know, but what if it's 20 years later and you're still doing effing birds? Don't you want to do other things? And I said, I, if 20 years from now, effing birds is still a popular thing. You'll be the I happiest man on earth. Come no on. problem. Yeah. I mean, I'll Jim Davis it or whatever, you know, when was the last time he wrote a, an actual Garfield cartoon? Exactly. Right? What? <clears throat> if I get to that level, do you have another plan? Man. Do you have an, an, any other platforms that you're building? Oh man. So yeah, I, um, one of the things with the, the deal for the F and birds book is it, uh, has a second book as part of the, the contract. So I have oh, to there's a problem. Deliver something to them that they're, Oh, I know. Right. Uh, so I made a giant pile of like, what are my, what are my dream projects since I have this opportunity right now? And one of them that I had been thinking about for about oh, at least 10 years at this point, maybe closer to 20 years. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, about 20 years. Um, it's surprisingly close to being a reality. So anyways, I'm in the middle of, uh, of writing a comic book um, about uh, what would happen if Vin Diesel <laughs> was Hamlet. It's called Vin, it's called Vin Diesel <laughs> is Hamlet. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where some lawyers will definitely have to get involved <laughs> and figure out if it's a possibility at all. But I figured while I have the opportunity here and while somebody is saying, uh, yes, please write a second book. I'm like, well, let's do this one that I really wanted to do. And so Vin Diesel is Hamlet is uh, uh, the thing that I've been sort of banging my head against for the so last So the fact that bit. you've got some guaranteed future income in the second book... Um 
gives you an opportunity then to do something that's a little bit edgier and and has a, 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 and, and isn't as assured. Well, that's that's kind of like my my feeling around it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tim Burton made a lot of money on Batman. And so they let him do whatever he wanted. And he made Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> you know, that's kind of so. So you're uh, saying Edward Scissorhands. Like I've never idea, seen that movie, so. but a tremendous cult hit. Right. So a, a, a work of art as opposed to right, Tim Burton's Batman and movie. It, yeah, exactly. It's funky and weird. And I mean, it has all the things that uh, are great about tim burton movies uh without the batman you know and so i'm sort of i'm looking for i'm looking for something like that uh, it's it, it sounds like it's 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 really fun to be in the reynolds world reynolds verse uh, uh and uh, do you, you do get out of the out, out of the office you get you go and you 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 you, you flog the book um so it's so it's it's a lifestyle business, but it's helping to support your family. It's replacing your income and more. It's giving you future opportunities. We haven't even talked about the fact that um, the Audubon Society, the National Audubon Society, has given their given you access to their entire archive to use their bird pictures from the 19th century or whatever. So people want to be are, are coming to you and want to be associated with your brands. So. I, you're on a really exciting journey and I can't wait to see where you go next. Well, thanks. Um, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Do you have one tip for any other entrepreneurs who might be thinking, Hey, I'd love to develop my comic strip, my GIF business, my weird ideas, Twitter feed. We've all got these little projects in the background. Wouldn't it be great if I could make it work? Yeah. Right. We've all got a weird thing, right? Well, I, I think that, um, and I, so before, before I came on the show, one of the things I kept thinking of was like, I didn't go to business school, you know, <laughs> I, uh, am I really a person who can talk about being a successful entrepreneur? Um, but then I was thankful for, uh, I went to Sheridan college's photography program in the late 1990s and it had a tremendous focus on quoting jobs. Uh, you know, a lot of photography programs will really lean into the art and the technical and will allow you to lose your shirt when it comes to, you know, figuring out what your time is worth. And I am so thankful that I went to that program because I use, even though I'm not using the photography part of it really at all uh, right now, I'm definitely using the how to value your time, how to bill your time uh, stuff. And so I would say that when you are launching a creative project like this, it will feel a little mercenary to do it, but you need to think about where do the dollars come from in this project and what is the way that you can pre-bake that pathway into the project instead of grafting it on later. Because, you know, I see so many things that are, a great and fun account that suddenly get overrun with Amazon affiliate links because now there's, you know, a hundred thousand followers. So now we're going to make a few dollars from Amazon every month. And really like if you're going to do something with Amazon affiliate links, you know, if that's the monetization strategy, um, there's a, there's a truly fantastic, uh, Twitter account that I follow that's called internet of shit that is about the internet of things, but like, like the worst things. And it is commentary on how terrible these things are, but it's also links directly to them on Amazon and they're all affiliate links. So, you know, whether or not you're buying that specific thing, uh, he's earning a couple of, a couple of dollars, uh, if you click on his affiliate link and then later buy something from Amazon. Right. <clears throat> um, it, this has been a lot of fun talking with you about this. And uh, I think you should be lecturing in business school. No need to go take a class. You could probably give a couple of classes on it. Uh, so thank you, Aaron Reynolds, for sharing uh, the world of F and birds with us and providing a really good uh, model for how we can all create our own businesses of intellectual property if you can call it that, uh, <laughs> in the internet economy that we have today. You're a great example of an entrepreneur. Thanks so much for sharing it with Startup Canada. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Okay, we'll talk again. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. 
Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.